And the rebellious leader declared, I will be like the Most High. I will usurp his kingdom. I will destroy his law. I will set up my own kingdom and my own law. And I will be a law unto myself. Part of the rebellion of heaven was centered around Satan's accusations against God that angels, because they were holy, could make up their own minds and what was holy and what was just and what was good. But it was a deception of which, sadly, many angels bought into. And it's a deception that today many of us buy into. Scriptures say, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. How many ever agree to that? How many understand what it means? There are some that believe and teach a misunderstanding of this verse. For sin shall not have dominion over you is dealing with the wages of sin is what? And death will not have dominion over you. Why? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Are you looking forward to death? Are you looking forward to everlasting life? Sin shall not have dominion over you. The wages of sin is death and that does not have dominion over you. For you are under grace. You are under the grace of Jesus Christ who went to the cross and paid your penalty for you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. We've looked at this previously several weeks ago, have we not? 1 Corinthians 10.13 What does it say? There's no excuse for sin. Through Jesus Christ, you have overcoming power through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life that takes away your desire to sin. There's no reason for sin. Because you are not under the dominion of the law, which says that the sinner has to die. But you are under grace. The law was nailed to the cross. How many of you believe the law was nailed to the cross? Well, let us help you today. Because the Bible doesn't support the law was nailed to the cross. And we're going to see in a moment. You see, if the law was nailed to the cross, there is no law. Is that right? It was nailed to the cross and done away with. And if there is no law, then there's no sinners. Am I okay with that? There's no law, there's no sinners. Now, if there's no law and there's no sinners, then we don't need a Savior. So then why did Jesus come? 
Didn't, didn't he come to be the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world? Does that mean he, he came to take away the law? You see, you see, when you start to think this through, you see what the fallacy is. And yet those that teach that the law was nailed to the cross, they also teach that it was only the Sabbath that was nailed to the cross and all the other nine apply. That's right. So from the beginning, the supreme object of Satan's rebellion was and still is to destroy the law of the Creator. All who have joined him in this rebellion have knowingly or unknowingly worked to overthrow God's law. So there's many honest-hearted people who just don't understand the truth. They've really never even read the Bible, many of them. And they just listen and hear things. It was like years ago, I was giving a Bible study in, in Michigan. I still remember him. And as I would... He lived way out in the woods, about a mile and a half off the road. And I'd park my car on the road, and I'd walk a mile and a half back to his house. And when I got back to his house, I'd give a Bible study. And while I was giving the Bible study, I would say, now let's look at this verse. And he would say, it's not in my Bible. And I'd say, well, let's look at this verse. Well, that was not my Bible either. And I went through it like that for several weeks, and I said, well, let me look at your Bible. And so I looked at his Bible, and about two-thirds of it were missing. And I said, where are all the other pages? And he says, well, I'm way back here in these woods, and I don't get to town very often, and I listen to the radio preachers. And when every time one of them says, that isn't any good anymore, or that doesn't apply, or that's really not the way that is in the Bible, I just take that page, tear it out, and throw it away. And he says, this is all I got left. And about all he had left were the begaps. So all who have joined him in this rebellion have knowingly or unknowingly worked to overthrow God's law. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found in heaven anymore. So they, they, they were cast out of heaven. And it goes on. The great dragon was what? Cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan. That's so all of us, no matter what we call him, God wants us to understand that we're all talking about the same person. The one that wanted to destroy his law. Which deceives the whole world. So how many of you are in the world? Are you deceived? You see, you, you may not admit it, but all of us have been deceived. He deceives the whole world. He was cast out to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So why destroy the law? What is the reasoning behind this? There are three reasons. Number one, it is the law of the entire universe. Now you remember that Lucifer, who became Satan, the great dragon, the devil, he said, I will exalt my throne where? Above the Most High. I will sit on the seat of the north. I will be over everything. I'm going to be God. In order for him to be God, he had to destroy the law of the entire universe. Or they would stop his rebellion. Why destroy the law? It identifies the creator of the universe. Maybe, maybe Satan would like to say, I am the creator of the universe, I made it all. 
And you have to have a way of determining, is it right or wrong? And the third was, it identifies those obedient to the Creator. Why is that important? No one can deny that from the death of righteous Abel to this very day, that the ignorance and disregard of the law of the Creator has caused misery, woe, and destruction in this world. And that the efforts of the adversary of the law of the Creator have been successful in bringing about this ruin and destruction in the Creator's beautiful world. Why destroy the law? Number one, it's the guiding rule, the law of the entire universe. Now, do you know what I'm talking about? We have another name for it. We don't call it the law of the Creator. What do we call it? The what? The Ten Commandments. But that is the law of the Creator. He's the one that wrote it. He's the one that made it. Now in Isaiah 40, for those of you that are writing these things down, Isaiah 40, verses 12, 22, and 26 are going to help you out. Verse 25 is a good introduction to 26. And then you have John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There was not anything made that was made. Who was it made by? The Creator. And then you have John 3, 16. For God so loved the cosmos. How big is the cosmos? Well, we'll see in a few moments how big the cosmos is. To whom then will you liken me, and show, or shall I be equal? Asked the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who has created these things, that brings them out by a host by number. He calls them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power. Not one fails. Who created the universe? God. In the beginning, God. So, we know that there isn't any other creator. It's God. And this is God talking to you and I, telling us he did it. Why destroy the law? Number two, it identifies the creator of the universe. Genesis 2, 1 to 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. That means made it holy because that in it he had rested from all of his work which God had created and made. There is only one day in all of scripture that God has blessed. And that is the Sabbath day. You can put any other day in there. Some people say, well, it doesn't make any difference what day of the week you worship on. What do you think? Does it make a difference? If God says, I'm going to be here on the seventh day, I'm resting from all my work, and you come on Tuesday, do you think he waited for Sabbath, Sunday, Monday, and now it's Tuesday? You think he's still waiting for you right there? He said, I'm going to meet with you on the seventh day in his word. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on what? My holy day, 
and all call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, not finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then, and I'll let you look up verse 14 on your own later on. But that's Isaiah 58, 13. And then you'll see what God does for those that worship him in truth and in spirit. Number three, it identifies those obedient to the Creator. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal. The Lord knows them that are His. How many of you are happy about that idea? Wouldn't it be terrible to be confused? How about at the very end when God is separating the righteous and the wicked? And some of the wicked come up and say, Lord, didn't we do many wonderful works in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do that? And Jesus says what? Depart from me. Saddest words ever heard by mortal ears. Depart from me. I never knew you. And every one of us have an opportunity to know God. 2 Timothy 2.19. God knows who we are and who his people are. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with, a loud, cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth in the sea. Now this is kind of reminiscent of something that's going to happen a little later, and that was called what? The mark of the beast. And there's a seal that goes on there too, isn't there? Saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God, in their foreheads. Now, when, when we're talking about the mark of the beast, we talk about uh, being a mark in your hand or in your forehead. Now, some people get confused and they wonder, well, what does that mean? And what it means is this, that if it is in your forehead, you believe it. You believe what the mark of the beast, which is... A, the Antichrist, you believe whatever the Antichrist is saying, you believe that over God. That's, that's the forehead. Now what about the hand? Well, if you don't have the mark of the beast, you can't buy or sell, how are you going to get anything to eat? Where are you going to live? How are you going to get gasoline for your car? What's going to happen in your life when you go to the hospital? And they say, well, show us the mark. You say, I don't have the mark. Well, you don't get any services. And so you have it in your hand because it is convenient to you just to preserve your physical life. So you receive the mark of the beast in your forehead because you actually believe the Antichrist or you receive it in your hand because you're going along with it just to preserve your life. That's the difference. But God seals his servants in their forehead. It doesn't say he seals them in their hand. You have to truly believe the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior, and your only Savior, as to salvation. You have to believe what he said. And what he said is very powerful. So, he said, Verily my Sabbath you shall keep, for it is a what? Sign between me and you throughout how long? All the generations that you may know that I am. Now who is the I am? It's God. 
When Moses, uh, God told Moses, go out to the children of Israel and tell them something, Moses said, well, how on earth am I going to tell them? Who, who are they going to say that I sent me to come tell them? And he says, you just tell them I am. And the Lord that sanctifies you. What does sanctify mean? To make you holy or to set you apart as holy. A seal is a sign that contains three declarations. The title, the authority or office, and the domain. So you have the President of the United States. So it will say, <coughs> Barack Obama. That's, it, that's his name. And his title is what? President of the United States. Okay? His, his domain is what? He's President. His domain is the United States. So then, God has the same right. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. And in it you shall not do any work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant, nor your maidservant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, I was raised a Catholic, and I was an altar boy, and I learned all the Ten Commandments. It was a whole lot easier then because the commandment with the Catholic Bible just said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That was really simple. I would have struggled with this, I think, all the things to remember. But let's take a look at this. The seal is a sign that contains three declarations. The title, the Lord God. So in the beginning, God. Okay, so his title is the Lord God. The authority, is he the creator? Made heaven and earth. And then it says his dominion is what? That takes in the entire universe. So now we know who we're talking about. Let's go on. The law was nailed to the cross. Okay, let's take a look. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Now, I give a hundred dollars this moment if any of you can find the law or the Ten Commandments written up there in that Bible text. You see, it, and as soon as I said that, my wife said, <laughs> it says blotting out the handwriting of what? Ordinances. Ordinances. It doesn't say blotting out the law. It says blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. We're going to look at that in a moment here. There are two laws. And we're going to study a contrast of these two laws. There is the moral law of God that we call what? The Ten Commandments and the ceremonial law of Moses. The moral law was spoken by whom? God. And who was the ceremonial law spoken by? Moses. Now these are Bible texts up there. Now I'll tell you what. In great mercy to all of you that can't write as fast as you know, take all this down. 
I actually printed it all out. So you can take it home and you can read it by yourself and look it up for yourself in your word. You take your Bible at home, you look up all these verses, and up here you'll see there's only one verse underneath each one. In here I have multiple verses, so you won't know I just went and picked out something. But I gave many verses on each one. The Ten Commandments was written by God with his what? With his finger. And the ceremonial law was written by who? Moses. God's law was written on what? Tables of stone. Where was Moses written? In a book. Now I ask you the question. You're a centurion, a Roman soldier, and you're crucifying this man. And somebody hands you a great big Ten Commandment granite law, and you figure out, how am I going to put that on there? And then the first time you try to hit it with a hammer, it breaks all to pieces. So it couldn't be nailed to the law. But if you take the book that Moses wrote, could it be nailed to the law, or to the cross? It could be nailed to the cross, and that's what was happening. Now, it was handed by God, its writer, to whom? To Moses. Now, what did Moses do? Moses handed it to, he was the writer of the ceremonial. He wrote and gave it to the Levites. Then it was placed by Moses inside the ark. That's the ark of the covenant inside the earthly sanctuary. And over here, the ceremonial law was placed by the Levites beside the ark. Now, by the way, some people say, well, well, that was still in the ark. It was just beside it. No, there was a, a little attachment on the outside, and they put it in there. Now, the Ten Commandment law was set inside this golden ark that had two angels over, overshadowing it, where their wings touched, and they had reverent faces looking down at the law, which is underneath the lid. The lid of that ark was called the mercy seat. And standing between you and God was a mercy seat for those of us that broke the law. Isn't that fabulous? God's imagery of, of his law and what he does is fabulous. So, the Ten Commandments deals with moral precepts, our duty towards God and man. And the ceremonial law deals with ceremonies and ordinances and rituals of worship. Now, what got nailed to the cross? Doesn't it say ordinances? Now you watch, you'll look these Bible texts up. I'm not going to take time to do it now. The Ten Commandments reveal sin to us and it defines sin for us. The ceremonial law just prescribes rituals and offerings for sin. Breaking the Ten Commandments is sin. That's 1 John 3, 4. And even today, it's sin from when it was broken in heaven and it's sin all the way down to today. No sin in breaking these ordinances and which were abolished by Christ. So now the Ten Commandments, Christians are to keep the whole law. Speaking of the Ten Commandments, because in James there, he goes on and says the law that says this, that, and something else. And it's, you identify what he's saying with the Ten Commandments. Then the ceremonial law was, watch this, 
apostles gave no such commandment to be circumcised and keep this law. The ceremonial law, after the death of Christ, was not to be kept. We shall be judged by the Ten Commandment law. If you love me, what does Jesus say? If you love me, keep my commandments. And we are not judged by the ceremonial law. It tells us in the Bible. The Ten Commandments is called the law of liberty. Ceremonial law is called the yoke of bondage. Christians who keep it lose their liberty. Ten Commandments was not destroyed by Christ. But in Ephesians 2.15, it says that the ceremonial law was abolished by Christ's sacrifice. It is called the royal law for the Ten Commandments. It's called the law of commandments contained in ordinances. And that was what was nailed to the cross. What did, what did all the ceremonial things that brought out that the lamb had to come, uh, you had to bring a lamb, confess your sins on it, and then you had to slit its throat, let all the blood go out, and then you put it on the fire and consumed it. What did, what did all that represent? It represented you and I coming to God and asking for forgiveness and paying the penalty for the sins. And Jesus became the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins. Now, after Jesus became the Lamb, went to the cross, came out from the grave, stood on that tomb and said what? The earth is the Lord's. He had bought it back, paid the penalty of sin, why do you need the ceremonial law anymore? It was pointing to Jesus. Now Jesus is here. You don't need it anymore. Therefore, Jesus nailed it to the cross. It wasn't needed. The Ten Commandments are eternal. All of them stand fast forever and ever. Ceremonial law was temporary. Ten Commandments were not destroyed by Christ. You can read that in Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Think not that I've come to destroy the law. And it, and, but the ceremonial law was abolished by Christ. The Ten Commandments deals with eternal principles of holy living, not with things to come. It has always been wrong to lie, to steal, to kill, to put false gods before the true God all the different commandments, but the ceremonial law was a shadow of things to come. These temporary ordinances pointed forward to the sacrifice of Christ. And when Christ came and died on the cross, they were no longer needed. The Ten Commandment law contains as a memorial of creation the seventh day Sabbath of the Lord thy God, which the redeemed shall keep even in the earth made new. And that's in Isaiah 66, 22 and 23. Now, the ceremonial law was contained as a commemorative part of the Jewish worship, several yearly Sabbaths, which were annual holy days that could fall on any day of the week. They weren't always on the seventh day. And when they had a, a time when it fell on the seventh day, like it did during the Passover when Jesus died, it made it a holy day. The Sabbath was already holy, but now this new Sabbath on top of it, of ceremonial Sabbath, made it extra special. This is, I'm just going over the same thing again. Just doing it a little different way. 
We have so many lights on that screen. Can you see that screen? Okay. There's so, there's so many side lights. Uh, there, that's better. Thank you. All right, the Ten Commandments is what? Perfect. Over there it says the ceremonial law made nothing perfect. It's in the book of Hebrews. It is a spiritual law. Over here in Hebrews it says it is a law of a carnal commandment and a carnal ordinances. Ten Commandments not grievous but a delight. It was a yoke for the ceremonial law which we were not able to bear. The Ten Commandment law was established by faith in Christ. The ceremonial law taken out of the way by Christ as the Lamb of God. The Ten Commandments is called the law of the Lord and the law of God. And the ceremonial law is called the law of Moses. There shouldn't be any confusion on this. There are no Bible texts to explain it other ways. The Apostle Paul makes a clear Christian distinction between the abolished ceremonial laws and God's eternal moral laws when he says circumcision, that's the ceremonial law, is nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Amen. And it does. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says. That's 1 Corinthians 7.19. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. Now I could have put a whole lot of these different leaders of other churches up here, but I just picked this one uh, as an example. He was the founder. He was given a sermon called The Lord's Sermon on the Mount. It's found in this book, Sermons on Several Occasions, Volume 1. And here's what he said. The ritual or ceremonial law delivered by Moses to the children of Israel containing all the injunctions and ordinances which related to the old sacrifices and service of the temple, our Lord did indeed come to come to destroy, to dissolve, and utterly to abolish. To this bear all the apostles witness, this handwriting of ordinances our Lord did blot out, did take away, and did nail to the cross. But, but the moral law contained in the Ten Commandments and enforced by the prophets he did not take away. It was not the design of his coming to revoke any part of this. The moral stands on an entirely different foundation from the ceremonial or ritual law. Every part of this moral law must remain in force upon all mankind for how long? In all ages. The Jews, as God's chosen people, had three distinct codes upon which they lived. And they were the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. Now let's take a look at these. The civil law was to govern their everyday lives, imposing specific penalties in various legal matters. And I give you Bible text so you can look that up. The ceremonial law was to regulate religious rites and the sacrificial services of the Old Testament sanctuary. And the moral law was to govern their spiritual relationship between God and man. Now the first four of the Ten Commandments teach what? Our duty towards God. 
And the last six teach our duty towards our fellow man. Now, if I don't treat my fellow man right, then I'm a sinner. Isn't that right? If I kill him? Now, some people say, well, there were no Ten Commandments until Mount Sinai. Then how did, how did Cain become a killer, a murderer of his brother Abel? And God was the one that declared that he was and said that he was a sinner. Israel's national civil laws came to an end, of course, when the nation came to an end, being destroyed by Rome, and that's in 70 A.D. The ceremonial laws came to an end when Christ, the Lamb of God, died on the cross. At that moment, an unseen hand tore in two the magnificent curtain in the Jewish temple. And by the way, that curtain was about 60 feet tall, I'm told, and it was about four inches thick. Now, is there any man in here, regardless of how strong or how weak you think you are, can take a hold of the top of a 60-foot curtain and take your two hands, spread them four inches apart, and tear that curtain from the top all the way to the bottom? The only hand that could do that is the same hand that Belshazzar saw that night when it wrote his fate on the wall. The hand of God is what tore that curtain. And that's because the ceremonial law was done. By this supernatural act of ripping the veil from the top to the bottom, God signified that the Old Testament ceremonies had come to a dramatic end. Uh-oh. But what? Well, let's see. But the moral law of the Ten Commandments is universal and eternal, given by God as the divine standard for every person in every land in every age. Are only Americans sinners? Or if you go to Cuba, there are sinners there. And if you go to Israel, there are sinners there. If you go to Germany, there are sinners there. It's universal. covers God's entire universe. Opponents of God's Sabbath refuse to distinguish between the moral law and the ceremonial law, insisting that they were all one law. Isn't that interesting? But God knew they were going to do that. Is God ever surprised by some of the things Satan does? He's never surprised. He always has something ready. And, and when Satan puts up his counterfeit, then God is ready with his truth. So when they read that God abolished the ceremonial law, nailing it to the cross, they claim the moral law was likewise abolished. But we see many biblical distinctions between the different codes of the law. Deuteronomy 5.22 tells us that when God spoke the Ten Commandments and wrote them on two tables of stone, he added how much? No more. And thus the ceremonial and civil laws were an entirely different class and cannot be added to God's moral law. He wrote it on two tables of stone with his finger. How do you add all the ceremonial law and all the civil laws on those two tables of stone that God wrote with his finger. He added no more. God's law is all-inclusive. God himself clearly distinguishes between all that I have commanded and all the law that my servant Moses commanded by ordinances in texts like this, these Bible texts. Well, I just put up Second Chronicles. So you can see what it says. 
Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from out of the land which I have appointed for your fathers, if, all of God's promises are conditional, if they will take heed to do all that should be neither, that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So on one side you've got the whole law, that's what? The Ten Commandments. And on the other side you have what? The statutes and ordinances of Moses. Who cares? I do. Why? Because Luke 4.4 4 says what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's why I care. Who cares? I do. I notice none of you do. Why? Why do you care? Psalms 119, 9 and 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. That's why I care. Who cares? I do. Why? Because, because Jesus loves you. That's why all of us should care. Jesus, uh, you know, he is the word. And he provides in his word that everything that we need for salvation is there and every question answered for salvation. And we have a lot of questions that have nothing to do with salvation and we try to answer them out of our imagination. But just, just don't go there. Just stick with the word and use the word. And that's where the end is. So I'm only going to give out these papers unless you come up and get them. Because I, I want you to be doers of the word and not hearers only. Amen. Now, some of the elderly, it's really hard to get up and walk all the way up here. So I'm looking for some volunteers of our young people that will come and they'll take some of these and take them back to the elderly. It's really difficult for them. But you, re you really need to come up because it testifies to everybody else in the room that you are a doer of the word and not just a believer only. That you don't just hear the word, but you believe it and you follow it and you do the word. You want to go give some out to you? You go give those out, okay? Here we are, Jim. There's enough for everybody, I can tell you that. Matter of fact, here. All these people, they're ready to receive them. Right here. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed out of the hand of the enemy. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. 
This is a good time to sing a song. And a song I like really well is called All to Jesus, I Surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever trust and serve Him. In His presence daily live. Because I surrender all. I do surrender all. All to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender all.